You are listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. All right, I have a question for you. A lot of business owners are of the opinion that they've got to do things themselves, right? And yet I, I think there's a real development in a business owner mindset when you get to a point where you recognize you can't do everything yourself, that there's got to be some point of delegation, uh, which is not abdication, but, but collaboration with people to allow you to use your strengths and use their strengths. And, and it really can, can elevate where your business is. Have, have you found that in, in, in yours? Oh, definitely. I think I got, I got lucky from being able to learn so much from you and see how you ran your business for so long. Um, and then also I had the opportunity to see and work closely with leaders that did the opposite, that felt like they needed to do everything themselves. Mm -hmm. So when I started my business, it became, I mean, right from day one, it was too much work for me to do alone. And so I had, you know, people on my team who I, I had to rely on them and not only rely on them to do the work, but I have to rely on them to make decisions. And so that was a journey for me to kind of consistently empower them to make choices on my behalf in the business. Because, hey, you know this role more than me. If you don't know it more than me, you're going to learn it quick mm -hmm. <laughs> and you're going to get to be more competent and knowledgeable than me very soon. Um, and setting them up to, to make really important choices because I can't make every important choice in my business. I certainly can't make all choices, but I can't even make all of the important choices. Right, right. Um, and I, I so I'm like addicted to it now. Like, well, I think I think it's important to make sure that they're grounded in the, in the right fundamentals that you say, uh, here we're trying to uh, create this sort of emotion in a, in a client or a customer, or we're trying, you know, this is our purpose. And that once you've got that clear, then releasing those decisions to other people becomes a lot easier. Yeah, I love when I find those opportunities to push an employee past their comfort zone. When I say, "Hey, you're gonna, you're gonna make the decisions on this. You're gonna design this project. You're gonna do it. You're not gonna check in with me at every step. I'm not gonna micromanage it for you." And sometimes they hear me give that instruction, they're overwhelmed or they're scared or it seems really big. But I know they're gonna improve. We're gonna be better as a team. And part of why it's become really easy for me to to trust in others to make important choices in my businesses because I don't look at the business as being my business. Um, I'm leading the company um, and I have the financial responsibility for the company, but my, my business is my business as much as my life is my life. Ultimately it, it belongs to God and, and this business exists to serve God and, and my life should exist to serve God. Do we perfectly do that every single day and every decision? No, but we're definitely trying to move in that direction. So when we surrender the mission to the ultimate mission, when we surrender our own mission to the ultimate mission of God, it's easier to surrender decision-making to others um, as long as they're motivated by that same mission. Danielle Strickland joined the podcast today. She's an acclaimed author, speaker, and advocate who inspires, challenges, and disrupts the present to create a better future with a global perspective shaped by living in diverse cultures. She celebrates the beauty of diversity and passionately works toward justice and making wrong things right. Her daily pursuit of following Jesus has led her to co-found multiple charities and nonprofits, 
while also embracing a multitude of failures that have deepened her understanding of the profound need for hope, faith, and love. She's the author of six books, including The Other Side of Hope, host of the podcast The Right Side Up with over half a million downloads, and sought-after speaker at events worldwide. She leads the Boundless Communications, Inc., launching a creative ventures like the Women's Speakers Collective, IMBY, a tiny home movement called In My Backyard, Brave Global, which works to fight human trafficking, Infinitum, which embraces a deeply lived life in Hagar's voice, sports survivors of sexual abuse. We covered great topics like who God really is. Danielle shared her three daily postures with us. We talked about surrendering your life and your business to God and how to align your decision-making in a faith-based way. Stick around. You'll learn something from Danielle's inspiring wisdom. I'm Sanger Smith. As always, I'm with my dad, Sean Smith, and this is Decidedly. Danielle, thanks for patiently navigating the waters of tech, uh, you know, snafus with us this morning. Yeah, no, it's it's like our first leadership lesson, right? Always be ready to adapt and be patient. <laughs> you know, we could be yelling and screaming at each other, and and Sean and I would be yeah. if you wouldn't have been able to hear us the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good leadership lesson, you know, because there, sometimes it takes a while to just get things right so that you get a better result rather than uh, just kind of rushing through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm really excited to have you here today. You know, um, because. Sometimes I think that I'm doing good and I'm giving back. And then I meet Danielle, who's got 47 charities. Yeah, Danielle, save a charity or two for somebody else. Yeah, to save a cause for one of us to focus on. Holy cow. <laughs> There's so many uh, male jokes uh, hanging around here that I could make, oh, but I'm going to refrain. You can go for that. I would be welcome here. <laughs> just be like, if the men could just keep up, I wouldn't have to do so much. You know, something like that. <laughs> there you go. We're getting, you know, it's 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 the 2020s. We're getting left in the dust uh, on everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, how did you get involved in in that? From from where you you started, T- take me back a little bit from where you started, and what drew you into the ministry and so many of the different causes that are important to you. Yeah, you know what, I had a a a pretty significant impact via the Salvation Army. So the Salvation Army kind of plays this role in my family's trajectory. So a couple of Salvation Army officers kind of rescued my parents from their orphaned uh, realities and their violence uh, situations. And then I myself kind of had this like full on um, revisit of the, of the, you know, dysfunctional kind of addiction uh, type stuff that came through some abuse and some misunderstandings of faith. And um, again, was highly impacted by the role of the Salvation Army in its in its sort of missional impetus to believe that everything and everyone is redeemable and that it is not too late, not too hard. And so I think that ethos, you know, really, really sunk in uh, kind of into my DNA that like it is not too hard that God has these purposes for people, even whether or not people can see it or not, and wants to redeem all things. And I think that's kind of like this thread that's run through a lot of the things that I do. Yeah. So a lot, a lot of the causes that that you are passionate about that, you're, that you work in deal with. Uh, I think there's a common theme. There's uh, you know people who've there, there's been abuse. There's been misunderstanding. You know, you mentioned the phrase misunderstanding of faith. Well, I think 
Yeah, I mean, I think I believed uh, a lie, which is that God uh, is boring and kind of authoritative. And really the dominant idea that God has is to just like make people behave and punish them if they misbehave. And somewhere along the line, I missed this idea of this kind of core understanding of God as this loving presence in the world trying to redeem and restore and bring everything into a mutual flourishing. Um, and that's like a pretty big misunderstanding of God. And I think people who are stuck misunderstanding God as like either a CEO in an office trying to run a business or as like an authoritative parent trying to control um, they miss the element of what we even exist for, why we're here and why it matters, and that connection to God in a way that can bring about um, some beautiful things. Yeah, I think a lot of us get that sort of impression early on. It's that authoritative, you know, man in the sky that's going to punish you, that lays down the rules. And it's, I think it's a way that we're, we're controlled by our parents early on. And, and that's the only yeah, understanding I think, that But that's a, that's a necessary development of one's own faith relationship, I think, is when we're young, we have a limited ability to comprehend uh, an understanding of our own faith, right? So most of us, when we're young children, we have an anthropomorphized view of God and our, our ability to understand is limited to simple stories. And the beauty of, of biblical stories is they're written that they could be understood by a four-year-old and, and an 80-year-old. You can kind of evolve throughout your life, your own understanding of one individual story. But I think most of our relationship, you know, at, at least in, in uh, the Christian churches, learning particularly Old Testament stories where God is a little bit more authoritative than, you know, the, the redemption story than, you know, Christ who, who is not as, as authoritative. Um, but I think that that seems to be like a necessary component uh, of one's own faith journey. Wow. Um, I mean, I, 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 I would be so happy if that's what it could be. I mean, I think my faith is not um, a journey through sort of Old Testament stories of God. And then, you know, sort of this, my faith is really a, an encounter I had with Jesus. And so Jesus is, I believe, the full revelation of who God is. Um, that's sort of this presentation of Jesus in the world is if you want to know what God is like, you look no further than Jesus. And I think one of the problems, and I think this is the, the thing that kept me from God, is that I didn't see God through the lens of Jesus. I saw Jesus sort of as this like exceptional human and I saw, I understand, I think I, I heard that Jesus is God somehow, but I kind of had this idea that there was this like God who was like mad at me. And then there was like Jesus who's like kind to me, <laughs> but I separate. think that's actually, yeah. yeah, I think it's heretical. And actually I think the, 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 the heresy of it is that it keeps people believing a lie that separates them because of a, a, a wrong kind of fear. Not the kind of fear that's like reverent and awe and wonderful and like mind blowing, but the kind of fear that's like, I'm out of here. I don't want to be part of this, you know, this, this God. Um, and it might also have to do like, I would imagine you had a fantastic dad 
So maybe the idea is of right. God I as a parent, <laughs> yeah, isn't uh, certainly here. You're going to agree with that, <laughs> but um, but so maybe it also has an idea of like development. Like if you had great parents, and that idea yeah. of God as a parent works super yeah, but, well, I mean, and if you have terrible parents, at it the doesn't. Same time, when you know, you're, when you're 12, like you, you don't think your parents are great. Yeah, <laughs> nobody, no matter how great your parents are as a teenager, your parents stink. So um, yeah, I did have great maybe parents. Maybe they're not. They're not. Yeah, but they maybe don't like hit you or yeah, beat no, you or for sure. that, I didn't, you. So uh, like you're not going to, right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's really fascinating, I think. But what, what's been really interesting uh, to me over the last probably decade or so of my life is this, the recentering, kind of the re, um, the recentering of Jesus at the core of who I am and my faith system has been so incredibly liberating and has been so incredibly what would I say, like encouraging, like inspiring, like I've never kind of been more convinced, even in an age of a lot of uncertainty and a lot of despair, I've never been more convinced that God is on the move, that like love is the answer, that people can experience the living, a living faith that can awaken them. Um, so, I, I mean, I I just, I really believe that this this character, this person, this living presence of Jesus is the center of what it means to be uh, a Christian. So you were at one point in your life viewing God and, and Jesus as two separate beings, not viewing God through the lens of Christ, and and that was limiting your own understanding and relationship with with God. What was the impetus for that revelation that I was you were referring to? You? I was going to ask that same question. That's a good question. Well, you know what? I would say this is a growth area in my life because I think it it's so embedded. And I think a lot of Christians that I talk to, this is embedded. They have these separate ideas of like God of the Old Testament and then God of the New Testament and this yeah. idea that there are like these there two like sides two of God or something like that. Gods, yeah. Yeah. Or even just two, you know, like I think you even said this, like that emphasis on one and the emphasis on another. And and when I was saying that, I, I feel like, you know, maybe I'm I'm superimposing a little bit of my own personal experience on this bigger idea, but you know, if you, it, I, I think even if you didn't grow up in the church, you know the stories of, of the Bible. Most people know Noah's Ark. Most people know Cain and Abel, and the the stories that that are most commonly spoken about are Old Testament stories. Um, I don't think, I don't think there are as many stories that the average person could articulate from the New Testament, other than, you know the the overarching theme of Jesus. They go, oh yeah, Jesus, but you know, pick out a few stories. I think they're going to go to oh the Genesis story. Yeah, Genesis, yeah. Exodus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and there are beautiful things in there, but I just think everything needs to be read through the lens of the fullest revelation of God, which is Christ. Right? That's Colossians. Like the fullness of the deity resides in Jesus. So if you're looking for a picture of God you will find the fullest <laughs> revelation of God in the person of Jesus. So there's a, a theologian that says, you know, we spent a decade trying to prove to everybody that Jesus was God. And it is now time to let everybody know that God is Jesus. Um, and I like, I mean, I think that's a beautiful, anyway, I think that's a beautiful emphasis. For me, the real awakening, I would say the first kind of awakening of like, oh, God is real. God is love. And God is for me um, happened in like a jail cell. And I was like a juvenile delinquent. And I was 
uh, separated from my family and causing a lot of harm and pretty much dead on the inside. And I had somebody come and visit me, um, a leader who came and visit me, slipped me a lawyer card and uh, said that she loved me, which was bizarre because I was not at all open to that. I was not grateful for that. I didn't even want to see her. And then when she left, I was alone in my jail cell and I had a revelation of, of Jesus who came and did the same thing. He hugged me and he said, I love you. And I would say I still didn't understand fully what it meant to live a surrendered life or what it meant to follow Jesus. But I did see clearly for the first time that what I was involved in was not good and that there was something other and that God actually was for me and loved me. So that revelation of Jesus has been so central to the story and has really just kind of grown uh, in 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 really beautiful ways. You know, it, it, it seems like, it, you know, you were at a point where you probably felt really limited, stuck. What changed other than this revelation that Jesus was God and there was that connection? How did that change how you moved forward and made decisions? that changed the trajectory of your life. Yeah, I mean, I think I slipped back into like a religious impulse of like, I remember having this revelation going like, okay, whoa, God is not out to get me. He's not keeping, you know, this record and he's going to judge me. He loves me. He's for me. He's going to help me. So it was like I, and then I also saw this life that I was living as a lie, you know, because I had believed that rebellion would lead to freedom and that freedom is ultimately this like expression of myself in whatever way I like, no matter what it does to other people, no matter what it does to me. So I think I saw the light, if that makes sense. It's like a very, that I saw the light, but I literally brought revelation to my situation. But then I think my impulse, which I think a lot of people's impulse is to go back to this, like, I better clean up my life. Like, I better get things in order. I better, and again, we slip back into this kind of religious uh, impulse, which is to try to try to get it right. And um, that didn't go well for me. You know, it, it, I, you know, just couldn't do it. I'm really not very good at being good. <laughs> and so I had to come to another place where I was like, oh, I see, I can't do this. Even if I have a right vision of who God is, me trying to fix my life and earn my life for that, uh, to please this, this person, even if it's a, out of a loving motive, is not going to work. I kind of liken it to trying to take a shower without water. You know, it it hurts if you've ever tried it and it doesn't work very well. <laughs> and I think that that's kind of religion. It, it hurts and it doesn't work very well. Fighting the uh -huh. impulse to fix things on your own. That that which. Yes. Yes. Fixing it on your own, but also like kind of earn or like pay back or to try to, you know, to try to work my way into the good books um, can can be driven out of fear, but it can also be driven out of devotion. It can be driven out of love. It's just the same. It's the same behavior in the end, where we have this like to do list of it's basically behavior modification, and in the hopes that I might be good enough. Uh, what I had to do was I had to get to a place where I surrendered that impulse and I surrendered uh, my whole life to a power greater than myself. So this and that power is God, you know, the power is love, the power is Jesus specifically. And so and that is something that I've learned. I I practice every day. It's not just a decision I made, you know, 30 years ago. This is a decision I made this morning to surrender my life to God, 
to surrender my life to the person of Jesus today with all of its burdens, with all of its successes, with all of its whatever. And then, so then I've just made this a daily practice. My faith, I believe, needs to be practiced on a daily basis for it to be, uh, to, for it to be alive, for it to be real. Otherwise, it's just a belief system. Faith as a belief system is not going to do it. <laughs> but faith as a practice, as daily decisions to walk towards and to walk with um, God, that's that's life changing. So how do you juxtapo- juxtapose these two seemingly competitive? beliefs, and I'm saying this out of curiosity, not uh, as a challenge, or hear you say on one hand, a religion is not going to do it. Religion's like taking a shower without water. And um, at the same time, you know, faith without practice is um, nothing more than a belief system, right? It's not actually going to yield the fruit. So some people would say, well, the, the religion is the structure of that is how I put my faith into practice. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes it can just be semantics. What I would say is one's externally based and one's internally based. So the idea of an external, like something outside of you that's happening, that somehow will get you to God is pretty much the basis for every religion, uh, except Christianity, which is uh, the, the idea that the spirit of God, the living Christ is at work inside of us. And so to surrender to God's spirit and to receive freely what God has done is the means by which we work out our salvation on a daily basis. So I think for me, the practice is not so much external things I have to do to earn my way to God. The practice is the the rehearsing of receiving what God has done for me and then living my life out of that uh, salvation, living my life out of that gift, living my life out of that love that I receive every day. So one of the things I, I think that's that's inherent, and certainly it's amplified for those who who have a religious bias, is you have this conscience that that tells you when you're disconnected from that ideal self. You know, when you've gone astray, you you get that voice, you get that feeling that's powerful, and it's important not to ignore that. That can help you realize you've made a mistake in a decision. How are you using your faith to make sure you don't make a a bad decision. In other words, ahead of time to stay on the right path. Um, yeah. So I, I think that the greatest calling of all, all of our lives, I mean, Jesus summed this up when he said like what you need to do. And it's funny, he's, he's talking to a wealthy, successful leader who is also devoted to God. And he says, you know, what must I do to be, be saved? Like if, or if you could sum up the, the, the whole thing in like a quick sentence, what do I do? And he says, you got to love God with everything you have, and then you have to love others as you love yourself. So basically, he's saying it really is about the way we love. And so for me, I had to have, I had to ask this question, like, does my life look like love? Like if someone were to look at my life today, would they go, oh, hey, that life looks like love. It looks like someone who is loving God. It looks like someone who's loving others. And it looks like someone who loves themselves too. You know, there is this this ethos of love here. And then I and then I sat down with some friends, all of us pretty successful in our various things. And we really asked ourselves that question, like, are we, or are our lives characterized by love? And then are we really following Jesus? Like, is this a thing that we're doing every day? And it was a fascinating conversation just about what does it mean to be someone who is open to um the, the living, not this, this belief system of a person that exists, but like a living presence 
saying, hey, I've got wisdom for you. I've got strength for you. I've got, you know, things for you to respond to. Uh, I've got what you need. So that's when I started practicing kind of these three postures, I call them, which is surrender every day. And then it's generosity, which I've discovered is a mutuality. It's a mutual, which was like a mind blowing to me, by the way, that generosity was this principle that Jesus keeps teaching his disciples, which is freely you receive now freely give. So there is this like, I'm receiving what I need, including every day I pray for wisdom. I pray for direction. I pray for guidance. I pray for strength. I pray for mercy. I pray for forgiveness. And then everything that I've so freely received, which is its own practice. Because again, if we flip back into this, like, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to do better. What I find is we get, we're short on the things that we don't have. You can't give what you don't have. So when I find myself short on mercy or I find myself short on forgiveness or I find myself short on whatever, I realize, oh, I see, I need to receive from the inexhaustible resources of God. I need to receive again and remind myself that I'm, uh, I, I am receiving what I cannot get for myself and then give it. And then the final posture is just to be open to others, um, which is a missional posture, which is to say that my life exists not for self-actualization. That's not the pinnacle of my pursuit. Uh, my life exists for the pinnacle of of uh, mutual um, mutual flourishing, which is when everybody uh, discovers who they are, what they were born for, and what they could do for the world and for each other. That's interesting. You know, a lot of people when they talk about self actualization, they look at that as the highest you can go, but it's you know, on Maslow's hierarchy, uh, you know, moving to transcendence, which I, I think speaks a lot towards this openness to others that you were talking about. Yeah. And I mean, I, it does make sense, doesn't it? Because a lot of the most self-actualized people uh, don't don't always seem to live the most fulfilled lives. And so that's an interesting, you know, the fact that we keep believing this idea that like if I could be, you know, self-actualized, I would be at the top of this pyramid of success or whatever. But then you kind of go, oh, that all looks a little bit sad. There's more. <laughs> There's more. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that lines up with James Fowler's um, work on stages of faith development. Uh, that he puts at the the sixth and final stage uh, is that transcendentalism. But he says that hardly anyone ever gets there. <laughs> and so maybe in a way, like, you know, that it's the journey and the pursuit of that that is um, of value, and only a few people, and you know their names, have have achieved that <laughs> transcend, you know, that true transcendence, right? And and maybe really only one, and that's Jesus achieved true transcendence. But um, you know, most most of us aren't going to even get a glimpse of what it means to really transcend. Um, I guess in in a way we're all we're all transcending if you're a believer and you're you have that that transcendence of death. But I, I'm not. I, I guess. Uh, I, I, am I explaining this well, Daniel? Probably not. Well, I think again, it depends on what you think of by transcendence. Like, I think um, again, we can have this like crazy. So the only person in the world that experienced transcendence, I guess, through the resurrection, is Jesus. I think is what you're trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. But I would say that every time you move past your own self-actualization in order to help somebody else. So every and we see this all through the New Testament. I mean, the believers are literally like the disciples are uh, literally transformed by the living spirit of Christ within them to start giving their lives away for other people. 
yeah. to start like loving people more than themselves, which is literally yeah. what Jesus said is transcendence. So I would say every time you touch it, you, you know, we, literally every day we could touch this by choosing to serve others when it costs us something. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that's the transcendence, but it, it might not just look as glorious, we think, because actually it looks For really sure. painful and difficult and ugly and isn't even always celebrated. People think like, oh, that's you're a doormat or that's dumb because you really should be aiming for self-actualization. But actually, I think you touch it, you feel it, and you know it when you see it, when people see acts of, you know, self-giving, uh, which would I think would be this transcendence piece when they've died to themselves and lived to something greater than them. It's very impactful. Right. Like you, you and, and this is in my life, even in my leadership life, I remember serving with this woman, retired uh, leader who lived this way. And I was like, who is this? What is happening right now? Like on a daily basis, she knew who she was. She wasn't leading out of any sense of pleasing or she wasn't trying to prove something. She just lived in a way that looked a lot like Jesus. And I remember going like, how do you do this? How do you lead yeah. this way? Um. And, and so it was cool because I actually have seen it. I think that's the thing is I have seen it modeled. And whenever you catch a glimpse of it, it is breathtaking. And so then the question becomes, do we want to just keep this transcendence thing as like this thing we cannot do? Or do we want to say, actually, I think we could live this way. And I think that's what Jesus was inviting us to do. Yeah, I guess, I guess in a way it's like we're, you're never going to you're never going to get it perfect. Um, but you can definitely embody it in, in a in a really powerful way. Um, but I know none of us humans, even the most impressive, uh, would ever say, Hey, we, we figured it out 100%. Yeah. And I think that's why I, I mean, I really love using words like practice and posture and daily and, you know, like, uh, you know, tomorrow we begin again <laughs> kind of thing is that we are on a daily basis. I am really trying to be led by receive from and give out of uh, the, the life of Jesus and what he, what he invites me into. So tell us a little bit about how you, um, how you're implementing this for other business or other folks, you know, beyond you now. Yeah. So what we do, I mean, I, so this thing that I, I practice, I also well, give away to others to practice too. So if it's of help, if, if it's helpful to anybody to sort of need like a basic framework on how to open to, and then live into this person of Jesus, then it's called Infinitum, infinitumlife.com, if you want to go to the website. But basically, it's this framework. So I was um, in relationship with a guy who started his own business, and he does this as a business. He's quite a, a, a successful business in the UK, a uh, public relations firm. And he goes in the morning to this place, this building, and he literally stands in the building before any of the employees get there. And he just says, like, I surrender this business to God. Uh, this business is no longer mine. It, it, it belongs to uh, you, God, with all of its you know, burdens, but also with all of its capacities. And then he opens his hands, like I use postures, and he just says, like, I need from you. Uh, I need some things. I need courage and I need wisdom and I need all these things. I need these things from you. And then I'm going to give these away to the people around me today. And then he opens his arms up and he just says, this business does not just exist for us. It exists for others. And so he tells, he told me the story. It's quite beautiful. He said it began to transform the way he even thought about his business. It began to transform the way that he enacted with people, it began to transform the way that they thought about themselves. So they actually started to um, 
to take on projects. Like as they started um, practicing kind of the ethos of this, they began to take on projects that were past self-actualization, you know, like we were just talking about. So it was just not like the bottom line or how much money they were making. It was kind of also how much good they were doing for others. And they started taking on, like they did the PR project for ref welcoming refugees in the UK and all these out of this kind of idea of like, what if we practiced a different way of living? I talked to a guy that was like the, um, ah, the lawyer that handled human trafficking cases. And he did the same thing. When I went into his office, he had these three words on his desk, surrender, generous admission. And he said over every case that he tried, he just would pray, I surrender this case to you. Please, God, give me what I need so that I can be generous with my time and my mind and my resources. And then also may this case actually help people who feel invisible and feel like there's no justice. So I think that for me, it's not like, I, I think for me, it, it's like a, it's a heart posture that begins to actually take some real uh, tangible steps towards living like Jesus. Um, so there's all kinds of ways to engage in this if it's helpful to you. There's version Bible reading plans you could do with a friend. There's a 30-day challenge if you wanted to kind of kick off. What, what would it look like if I, you know, I had a couple of younger people reach out to me and say like, is it okay if I invite my friends to do a 30-day challenge which is like daily postures and prayer and you connect with a group and just try to live this authentic life, like a real practice of your faith. And could I invite some friends who aren't, wouldn't call themselves Christians, but they might want to try it out <laughs> and see what it might be like to follow Jesus. And then we could, and I was like, yes, of course, uh, uh, like a hundred percent. Then I started realizing, oh yeah, that's actually what Jesus did, yeah. <laughs> right? Was he was like, come, come try this out and see if like, if you're going to stick out, stick around. So there's all kinds of different ways, but it just in my life, it was such a game changer going from this, I believe these really important truths, and I even like go to church and I talk about it maybe and I think about it to this like, oh, what would it look like if I embodied this, if I practiced this? And maybe it wouldn't be so hard. It would just be this attitude and this heart and this mind that opens to the possibility that Jesus is, is doing this with me. You know, it's interesting, you know, taking that stance with a business of just sort of surrendering and having a, a a mindset of generosity and submission. I see that in a lot of maybe more and more in some secular businesses. You look at uh, Bomba socks, are they giving away socks or Tom's shoes, are they giving away shoes? And and I, I don't know their faith, but 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 they're not holding themselves out to be religious, they're holding themselves out to a, a greater purpose of helping people. Do you think they're getting to the same type of results? I think they are at least hungry for a similar thing. So mm -hmm. I think that's important to recognize. Yeah. And I think it's important to recognize that there is a culture that's longing for people who live for something greater than themselves. So those are all beautiful signs, aren't they? And then I think the only true way, sort of from an inside out, from a true transformational perspective to achieve this ultimately is through Jesus, right? I believe that that's actually so, but you might, you might be able to kind of touch it and go like, oh, I love this. Like, this is grace, you know, or if, if you see hope on display, you know, how people are like hope, like they love hope. And you're like, actually, I know where that hope comes from. That hope comes from God, right? That's the scriptures say, like, literally the author of all hope is God. So, so there, I, but I think to see it, sometimes I think it's better, it would be better to not dismiss what is good and true and kind of holy or sacred and, and instead um, say, hey, would you, would you, 
Would you like more? <laughs> or would you like to know the source? Or would you like to know the name of what this is? Um, that, that's kind of cool. But I do think there is a deep hunger for this because uh, I do think a culture has come to the end of itself, which is actually fantastic news because um, that's where we get that core teachings of Jesus where he said, blessed are you who are poor in spirit who just like literally can't do it because that's where you begin to touch and see that the kingdom of, of heaven is near. Yeah, if, they're, if those companies are pursuing something good and true and transcendent, then then they are they, they are embodying unknowingly the the Holy Spirit, right? They they are guided, yeah. even if they reject it vocally. They say, "No, we we are not a Christian company. We are not a faith based. We don't follow Jesus. We don't believe in God." Well, regardless, because you are pursuing what is good and true and everlasting, you you are you are following God's word, um, but you can't do it fully while also rejecting the word of God at the same time. Um, you said something, um, really, oh, and then it left my brain ah! <laughs> as soon as I was going to ask you, oh my gosh, that's so, oh, well, oh, I'm glad you're not the only one that yeah, happens to me a lot. But. Um, so it, the, as I'm listening to you say, Hey, you know, these are, these are some ways that we put into practice as business leaders, um, put our faith into our business and, and improve our decision-making so that it's aligned with faith. Like I'm, I'm hearing these steps that at the same time sound so simple, um, but mm-hmm. I know that it's not right. It, it, it's like if I could get, could distill everything that you've said, it's well, it's all things that I already, already know. Like, well, surrender my <laughs> business to God. Well, duh, you know, you surrender your mm-hmm. life to God. That's what Christ calls us to do. Okay, so mm-hmm. then I should surrender all aspects of my life. My business is included in that life. So if I've surrendered my life, then I have surrendered my business. But there's a benefit in saying that explicitly. Hey, pray before my big decisions. Okay, well, yeah. Why am I not doing that? You know, why am I not uh-huh. doing these things that are so simple and straightforward? But at the same time, because it's simple, it doesn't make it easy. And um, I think like from my perspective, what maybe I was looking for you to say is, hey, here's this really complex strategy uh, of 27 <laughs> steps. And this is how Danielle's figured it out. And I go, oh, okay. And then maybe I wanted that because then I could say, well, that's really too hard, you know, or that, I that's why I'm not doing I it. It's more it. difficult than yeah. I thought. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot a couple steps, you know, she told me all 27, but I only remember 23. So therefore I can't really get there. Um, but Is, we can get there through, through a surrender and through prayer. And, and are you frustrated that she boiled it down to like two or three things? Yeah. Make it harder, please. Make it really like complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a recovery. You know, I've dealt with a lot. I've done recovery and helped people in recovery. And that's one of their principles is simple isn't easy. Um, It's not not the same thing. No, it's not the same thing. And I think sometimes we're prone to dismiss things that are simple because they're easy. But if we would just try them, and that's uh, a little rule of thumb, even as someone who's a communicator, is I always say, like, if I actually am not practicing, at least trying to practice what I'm preaching, I really should just shut up. Uh, yeah. um, you know, it is not helpful. And I think sometimes we do that with principles in general and business and everything. We have these big, huge value statements or we have these massive sort of like, uh, you know, theologically rich ideas or philosophically good ideas or whatever. But they're they're literally meaningless without practice. We know this. Um, and so I would say, you know, bring it down, <laughs> uh, bring it all down to some simple things that people could actually do. 
that might move them towards this life that they want to li live. And um, and if we could actually start doing that, and that's what actually happened with me around a group of table with all these leaders is we said, what if we actually practice the things that we teach others to do? This is so embarrassing to say. And so that's what we did. And we actually said, let's not tell anybody that we're going to do this for a year. And we did it. We just literally every day I did this every week I met with a group and we, you know, we asked each other good questions. And then every month I decided to serve in a, a way that didn't benefit myself. And by the end of the year, I had never been more hopeful. I had never been more filled with joy. I had never been, you know, and I just was like, oh, wow, it works, this whole following Jesus thing. <laughs> yeah, that's something that made me, um, like, I kind of had to open my eyes when an employee suggested to me that we do a, a devotional in our daily huddle meeting. So we have a... a oh phone call every morning at 8 a.m. We all get on a conference call. It's five minutes, you know. Hey, how are you doing? Are you stuck or anything? Uh, you know, tons of companies do it. She goes, why don't we do a devotional at that time? And I wanted, mm -hmm. like, when she said it, my instinctual response was no. I didn't say that out loud, but I wanted to say right. no. And um, mm -hmm. maybe I wanted to say no because, you know, it put me, I, I was uncomfortable with having to lead spiritually people that I'm already leading in this other way and I was like I wanted to say no but I knew that she was right like hey this is a shared belief that all of us on this team have talked with each other about sharing right we yeah. we we it's not going to make Johnny in accounting uncomfortable because he's Buddhist <laughs> or something like I can't use that as an excuse and I still didn't uh -huh. want to do it and so the then the the next level is like why are we not praying together as a company one of my uh, mm -hmm. clients, he, he he does that at every weekly team meeting. He's like, "Well, the first thing we do is we pray." It. Well, duh, <laughs> you know, why are you not? Why are you not? Why why are we not doing that? Um, and it it I think it boils down to that that idea that you shared a second ago, which is one simple isn't easy, but the mind blowing revelation is you got to just do what you practice, what you preach. I mean, that's that uh -huh. is the simple way to distill a lot of what we're talking about. But that idea of simple not being easy, man, that really is true with everything in life. I mean, that's true with um, your money. Live within your means, say and save money. Mm -hmm. Like there you go. There's your two step financial plan. If you do that, right. you're gonna you're not gonna screw it up, right? Uh, that was advice that Sean gave me when I started my career. He said, you know, if you just do the right thing and you do what you say you're going to do, uh, you're going to be fine. Really? He goes, yeah, and it's also, simple. Like, you know, this. yeah, and do the, do the thing in front of you. You know, so again, people yeah. get tripped up, I think, not only in faith, but also in everything else where you're, you're so focused on this final thing instead of this thing right here. And so a lot of people want to skip all this thing right here. And I was, yeah. you know, people are like, how do I get there? How do I do this? How do I achieve that? I'm like, just do this thing right here today. Honestly, trust me. We do this thing. We're going to get that to that thing, but we're not going to get to that thing. Not doing this thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I love that, that idea that simple and easy are not, not the same. You know, people uh -huh. often come to me looking for uh, some like magic trick or some, complex strategy that's going to prevent them from having to do the simple things that aren't easy. <laughs> you know, Hey, what do I do if, if I haven't saved money and I have spent out of outside of my means? So now what's the complex 
really cool thing that I could do. go back yeah, and do the I have, do the hard simple. Yeah, thing. I I have come across that so often in my career that that uh, people who are approaching retirement will come to a financial advisor hoping for some combination of you know Warren Buffett and Harry Potter to you know where they could <laughs> they could solve you know, <laughs> the, the the issue that they've created over thirty years that there's some magic as they wrestle with the reality of of uh their their situation yeah but, that's true with with but it is you simple know, you're right true with your health like I heard this interview on YouTube I don't even remember who it was guy goes hey man so like what's the quickest easiest way for me to get a six pack yes yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about like it's not easy it is simple though yeah. you work out and you eat yeah. right there you go you don't have there's not like some weird exercise that you have to do that's like a Jay Leno, I think, line, isn't it? That he said, I'll do anything for the perfect body except diet and exercise. <laughs> <laughs> That's I'll take any pill. That's, you uh, yeah, any yeah. pill you want to give me, I'll take. Yeah. Yeah. I I I wanted to to go back to something that you were saying earlier, Danielle. You said you think that our culture is in our world is really striving for people and businesses that are living outside of themselves or serving something bigger, right? Um so do you think that that is something that is happening in our culture because that is a basic human desire that exists throughout time will always be there? Or is there something unique that's happening, you know, some cultural moment going on right now and some other reason why we're maybe a little bit more hungry for it now than we were in the past? Yeah, I mean, I think there is definitely a generational shift where a generation cares about things uh, a bit differently. And maybe some of that has to do with kind of seeing through the other side to go like, oh, that maybe doesn't look as good as I thought it might look. Um, so I think there might be some of that. I think we're in the middle of uh, an era shift. So I think uh, Mark Sayers wrote a book called A Non-Anxious Presence. And in there, he kind of looks through sort of historical era shifts. And that's you know, the thing he decides in that book that he thinks we're in this era shift so that the future we're in this 50 year gray zone, they call it between eras. That's what he suggests. And it makes a lot of sense in that this we know this era is coming to an end and it has all the signs of that. So like there's a lot of things not working that used to work um, in terms, I would say, political systems and economics and like institutional uh, faith structures, like all kinds of things that are just like, ah, they're not working and but the the things that are, are going to it is going to look like in the future aren't here yet. And so they call that the gray zone, the 50 year gray zone. And Mark Mark's book is more around how do we be a non-anxious presence in a, in the gray zone where, of course, we're anxious because nobody has a clue how this is going to work. I think that in that um, in that gray zone, there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of despair and a lot of sort of uh, apocalyptic uh, apocalyptic angst, right? We can feel it in the movies. We can see it in the TV and the news and like a generation sort of saying like, is there even a future for me? Um, so I think that angst has a capacity to either move us towards despair or move us towards, uh, I guess what I would say is like renewal or revival or like a, a redemption in a sense of like, what is good and true and meaning? How do we want to live in the future? So I think there's a whole bunch of things. I also think the impulse in this season for leaders are to either revert to what used to work and like dig in and say like, hey, this worked 100 years ago and it has for the last 100 years, so it must be true. Or some leaders who are like jumping to the future before we're ready <laughs> for that out of a sense of anxiety and missing 
So I think that's all that kind of like AI stuff where we're like, what have we done? Because we did it too early because we couldn't wait because we had to get ahead of the competitor and like all this stuff. So I think, it, again, this brings me back to this, like, what if just today, which is, you know, how you deal with anxiety and despair and existential dread is you stop the big picture and you come down to today's picture and you say, my feet are right here. I'm rooted and I'm okay. I'm in this community and there are people around me I need to love and there's a thing I should do with my life and there's an open place. So I think a whole bunch of things, but I, I do think generationally that there's a generation that is looking for something bigger than just self um accusation. Oh, what is it? Accusation. <laughs> Whatever, Whatever that is. <laughs> well, Danielle, th thanks. I have one final question. If, if you had to narrow it down to one takeaway, what is, what's your biggest decision-making tip for business leaders that they should know about? Business leaders that are uh, followers of Jesus, I would use this um, Jesuit principle, which is a decision-making principle that says, will this decision I'm making right now move me towards Jesus or away from him? Yeah, it's a good one. That one's going to, um, that one's going to hurt me later when I, <laughs> that one's going to come back and, and by hurt me, I mean, benefit me greatly, but frustrate me because I'm going to have to reconcile with this question. Um, you know, asking yourself that when you want to do something that's you're pulled and you have a desire to do something and then you ask that question, I can already see it going, oh, I know the, no, that's not going to work the out answer. well. I know the answer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, that's um, great. Can you say it, say it one more time? Will this question, will this decision pull me closer or further from, from Jesus? Yeah, will this decision I'm making right now move me towards Jesus or move me away from him? That's good. Thank you so much mm -hmm. for being here. Um, I am fascinated by this conversation, fascinated by the work that you do, and uh, I really appreciate it. So thank you for being here. Thank you so Thanks, much, Daniel. Thanks, guys. It's, yeah, it's been an honor. Thanks for having me. My takeaway from our discussion with Danielle was when she was talking about the Jesuit principle and having a starting point of surrender. You're not going to be able to do things on your own and, and then moving to a point of generosity and, and service. That really can guide decision making in a, in a positive way so that you're, you're open to others and, and how you're transforming the gifts of your values to others for sort of a more eternal benefit. I think that's, uh, you know, if you're making decisions along those lines, probably on the right path. My biggest takeaway is surrender broadly. I mean, she talked about surrendering your life, surrendering your business, surrendering individual cases or projects. Or the idea of surrender, that's going to be a, a lot bigger focus in my life um, on a, a big scale, you know, macro and on a micro level. You just made a great decision to listen to this episode of Decidedly. Make another great decision and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support. It helps others find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. For more daily decision-making insights, check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sanger Smith, and this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.